When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the All Stats Aren't We review of the Arsenal away game and a preview of the Chelsea home game. I'm Darren Driver, don't pass the ball back to me, it'll only end in disaster. And I'm here with the note down Dan James Pants of the podcast, John McKenzie, no one knows what's on it and you can't tell by watching. And finally, <laughs> the Rafinha being sick of everyone's shit of the podcast, almost going full Mad Max Gradle, it's Adam Elliott. Adam, how you doing buddy? Well my team are on the brink of relegation and I might have COVID. So I've had better weeks, but otherwise I'm okay. Um, How how about yourself, Darren? How are you? My team are almost on the verge of relegation and I don't have COVID, so I suppose I'm one step up the ladder from where (laughs) you are there, Adam, which is a nice place to be. Uh, I'll let you take the misery misery spot this week. I'm going to be nice and cheerful. John, how are you doing, buddy? Yeah, my team are also on the brink of relegation. Weird, eh? Um, Oh, God. Yeah, I'm I'm doing okay. Heading down to London later, so uh, getting away from the parochialness of of South Cheshire and uh, finding my way to the big smoke. So yeah, it'll be nice to meet a few friends when I'm down there. So yeah, I'm pretty positive. Pretending football doesn't exist right now. (laughs) That's a good idea, like Dick Whittington. That's right, to make my fortune in London. Okay, excellent. So this is a double header episode, so we'll be reviewing the Arsenal game and we'll be previewing the Chelsea fixture at Ellen Road on Wednesday. So as is tradition, I'm going to hand over to John for the pared down review of the um, Arsenal game. So it is, in fact, the uh, 2-1 loss to Arsenal at the Emirates that we're talking about today. Uh, I've just had a little gander over at FB ref and the uh, XG numbers were not kind to us. They had Arsenal putting up 2.9 XG, so just under three, and ourselves getting 0.5 XG from a mere three chances, which uh, obviously is not ideal. Um, We'll do what we usually do, so five questions interspersed with a few listener questions as well. Um, So... I'll kick off with a question for Darren. So only losing 2-1 away from home to a top six side, went down to 10 men for the majority. Doesn't look too bad on paper, but in reality, was it a good performance, Darren? 
as Howard Wilkinson was very fond of saying, paper teams win paper cups. Um, and no, I don't think it was a good performance is, is the is the fundamental uh, answer to that. I suppose it depends what, what you mean by good. So um, what what I can say is that, that in the second half particularly, the team dug, dug in and um, I guess were able to stay in the game to such a point whereby you know scoring from a set piece at the end might make a difference um t- to the game and and I suppose that's commendable um I didn't see any evidence of anything that I like to see on a football pitch working so there was I didn't I didn't see any huge evidence of any attacking process and 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 but albeit there was very little attacking intent um shown by the team um and for all that people say have been saying that we defended well well we conceded nearly three goals of xg and arsenal had numerous really good chances to to put the game you know to bed much earlier than they did so you know for all that that there's a relief that it didn't turn into a 567 game which it which it looked like it had the potential to do in those first 10 minutes i don't think this gets anywhere near what i would call good um in on on any level um so that that's that's how i feel about it anyway yeah and adam jesse marsh has made a big thing about mentality and positivity to get us through this relegation battle how do you explain sunday's head loss with with all that as the background because i do think that adds a, an, an another layer to the conversation really i can't fully explain why you know you've got one of your most senior pros you know the captain on the day and he might never play a Premier League football game again now. That might be him done. Um, it doesn't make sense why he's lost his head in that way. But it wasn't just ailing, was it? I think we were kind of all over the place to begin with. Um, before he even got sent off, we were two goals down. So it was it was a collective, wasn't it? But the only explanation I have for that is that maybe it's a lot of the senior group have now fallen to injury or suspension. And Marsh has discussed this leadership group that he has. And we had Rodrigo on the bench. He's one of them. We had Cooper out. We had Dallas out. We had Forshaw out. Possibly Patrick Bamford as well is part of that group. So is there a lack of seniority? Um, and for me, I don't think that's super important, but it maybe is somewhat somewhat important um but it's not the main explanation for why we lost that game yesterday and i did expect us to lose it either way really uh it was our hardest remaining game um and as soon as it went to even one nil it did just feel like it was a loss for me personally and is that what the players are now feeling when they're out on the pitch um if you looked at Ilan Melier, uh, he looked absolutely crestfallen at his mistake and i don't know if he ever fully recovered from that i mean he didn't have to make too many saves in the game and he didn't look too flustered when he did besides maybe a couple of corners that he came for that he didn't quite reach but I'm talking about the other players as well here where it just felt like maybe they'd, they'd maybe given up and, until the second half and, and like Darren said we managed to stay in the game and fight back a little bit um, but yeah we needed Ailing and players like him for the running and we now don't have him and I don't know how important that's going to be, but it it could be. We now have a similar sort of fixture list to Burnley in terms of the difficulty, um, and we're now on the same points. So it's a straight shootout at whoever blinks, and at the moment it looks like it's us. Just because it's not working tactically, it feels to me at the moment like Marsh is trying to replace tactics with intensity and with with effort and aggression. And I and I think I think that answers a lot of why why we're playing in the way that we do and why we're picking up so many yellow cards and and wh- why Aileen might have felt compelled to go flying in for that 
that tackle in the corner. You know, I I I do think that there's definitely a tactical element to this uh, as well. And sorry, John, I didn't mean to cut you off. I was going to simply ask you whether or not if Jesse Marsh makes his big thing to be the mentality on the field and talks about that a lot, uh, maybe sometimes to the detriments of any sort of tactical discussion, whether or not you, you are in a situation where uh, I suppose that you're on a fine line, aren't you, between getting the most out of the team and then things going wrong. And as soon as things don't go right, then I think that intensity very quickly starts being directed towards the wrong end. And it felt a little bit like that was what happened in the first half of the first half yesterday. Um, it looked like Rafinha was just hell-bent on getting sent off himself. Um, Mateus Klick did his his almost obligatory jump in on someone because you're frustrated. And obviously, um, I mean, Luke Ayling is maybe the surprise element there because you just don't expect that from him. Um, but in terms of the the fact that, that Marsh has sort of ramped up this being like a, a mentality thing, that it's going to be mentality that gets us through this, are games like Sunday's game against Arsenal, like examples of why actually you have to be super careful when you make mentality everything. Well, absolutely, because it, uh, you know what 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 that mentality is is that it means that you're playing right on the edge um, all the time, and you know this this is a this is a squad which in various ways has played on the edge for four years in in different ways. You know whether it's on the edge of pers- having enough personnel, whether it's on the edge, you know, and, and the amount of risks that we used to take in possession. Uh, risks through the man marking and now it seems that the risks are let's see how far we can push that aggression that mentality that hard work and see see whether that alone can get us through and um i think i think it's pretty clear that 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 when when it when that comes up short as it's as it's going to do against against a very good arsenal team as it's going to do against a very good city team as it's likely to do against a good chelsea team then what you're left with all you're left with is kind of people getting frustrated and and feeling that that systemically it's going wrong um, and because there are no systemic answers that only leads to further frustrations yeah we could talk about this a, a lot I think but it was a similar run of poor fixtures that led to Bielsa's demise as well and a lot of the conversation we had about that was that the team had lost faith in the manager and um, I, I think maybe a similar phenomenon there which is you know when you when you do ramp up things to such an extent for these games and then lose them you you feel as though the process isn't working um, and mm-hmm. and then you start having those doubts coming in but let's move on and talk about maybe some more of the tangibles um, from from the game as well so Adam we talked a lot about the possible structures that Leeds would adopt in this game uh, in the end we went for the 4 2 3 one um, over the three four three, which was the big conversation topic of the week. Uh, although we did go back to a, a back five again as soon as the red card came, essentially. Um, so, what did you make of the structure in the game, Adam? Yeah, I had already highlighted before the game, uh, Urente is a possible issue at left centre back. Um, and in my opinion, if, if Pascal Strauch or Liam Cooper is available, if we have one of those left footed options, we should play them. He had difficulty switching from right centre-back to left centre-back in Spain, and that was pretty well documented. So I don't really understand that as the very first point. I also didn't understand uh, Dan James starting as a number 10. I don't think his skill set is at all suited for that position. Um, so in terms of the 4-2-3-1, it, it just didn't look like it had the functionality that it should. Another one is is Joe Gellhart. I, I think he's a pretty decent striker in a two or as a sort of withdrawn striker next to a, a more physical uh, combative option in front of him. 
but instead he's being asked to lead the line almost on his own um, when his you know mobility is okay, but it's not super fast and his frame's fairly stocky and strong, but he's not the strongest because he's not that tall either. Um, he's not that good aerially. I know we saw a good header one against Norwich, but just a lot of things that didn't make sense for me in that in that lineup. Um, even though we have injuries and uh, maybe a hand is not quite what it should be, uh, it still feels like we're doing a bit of the sort of square pegs and round holes thing that we saw under Bielsa. Um, if I'm scramb- scrambling for positives, um, we looked a bit better in the five with 10 men in terms of the pressing, um, but they were still able to get around us at times. And I, I think Dan James, who the right wing back role, um, which is essentially when you're down to 10 men, just a pressing role where you just need to work the line. And I thought he did okay in that structure. Um, but we at least looked more solid, uh, in my opinion, with, with 10 men. But that's probably because we were forced to, to sort of dig in and hang it on in there um, for as long as possible and, and restrict them. But yeah, when it was 11v11, 4-2-3-1, it was just all over the place. And, and Arsenal were, were making chances for fun around us. Darren, thoughts on this? I agree with to a degree with Adam that we did we did look better once we went into a low block, but I don't think it's that hard to like look pretty decent at low blocking. I just I don't, I don't really I don't really think that's a particularly commendable thing. Uh, and, and, and I mean I'm, I'm not talking about a kind of philosophy thing there. Like I just I just think you know you can any set of professional footballers worth the salt should be able to organise a low block on the edge of the penalty area, um, and and that's and that's what that's what we did so you know and 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 you know there's a phenomenon whereby we go a number of goals down and then we have our best spell of the game and like I just think it's just so like frustrating and pointless to to even say that because obviously if if a team's 2-0 up against against 10 men they're gonna they're not gonna take any risks they're gonna you know kind of they're gonna be a bit more measured in their approach and and that will allow a little bit more space occasionally for us to get back in the game but but against city you know we had a decent spell at three nil down and we had a decent spell against arsenal at two nil get two nil down well the game's already lost at that point and i just i just you know i kind of don't buy into that as an as a narrative at all and and structurally i structurally i agree we were we were pretty messy in the four two three one we looked very ragged easy to move around Arsenal were able to create space and chances for fun and it's only because we sat in a low block in the second half that and and the fact that they stepped off a bit that that they were a, a little bit less able to do that in the second half yeah and i think on top of that there were only three chances created in the game for us so obviously your ability to defend is an important aspect of the game, but you have to generate chances as well. Um, and we only generated three and two of those were in the final five minutes or so. Um, if not later, um, all three of those chances were generated from set pieces. And this was the lowest total chances created this season. And of the 12 games this season where we've created the fewest chances, five of them have been under Jesse Marsh. Um, I'm not going to ask you if you're worried about this because obviously it is worrying. But do you think we're getting worse in possession under Jesse Marsh, Darren? Undoubtedly, I think we're undoubtedly getting worse in possession. We we've moved from a situation where we were playing more of a hybrid system, so we we were moving the ball out wide, and I want, I still wonder if it was just the players doing that because that that's the stuff they knew and that's where the space was. And now I think we've stopped doing that quite so much, and it hasn't been replaced by anything. So you know we we constantly turn possession over, and our and our counter press isn't good enough to kind of recover the ball from those turnovers. Um, we look distinctly unable to 
progress the ball in any meaningful way into into dangerous areas through through kind of movement or interchange or by by kind of moving the ball smartly. Uh, when we try and move the ball more directly, the the the, the passes are there uh, are quite often going into touch or directly to an opponent, and there just isn't you know there 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 isn't the kind of target or the structure in the front areas of the team to kind of um to get the ball to so i think you know there have been a couple of times against city <coughs> against city and a couple of times again yesterday when we were able to put together maybe three or four passes in the back section of the team but you know so what who who cares like that's that's not going that's not going to get us anywhere near where where we need to be in order to create chances. So I, I'm, I'm desperately worried about our chance creation. I'm desperately worried about the lack of threat coming from the team. Um, and yet people will say the caveat is that we played against City and Arsenal and, and that it is difficult to create chances against those two teams. But in the 3-0 win against Watford, which, which we got absolute pelters for, for saying that we were bad in possession in that game and barely created anything, we were the same in that game as we were yesterday. Um, so I, I do think it's declining and I don't see any evidence that it's going to turn around. Yeah, Adam, we had a question from Al Barker who said, how are we going to pass the ball to each other once the memory of Bielsa's patterns fade from these players' memories? Do you think that's a legitimate concern? Yeah, I actually do, because Marsh simply isn't fussed about a structured build-up in possession. He's not really been about that throughout his managerial career so I don't see why that will change now um Al mentioned uh, in the same tweet that there was a, a a sort of sequence of passing around 35 to 38 minutes into the game um and that it felt like an echo of the past and that was totally spot on it that's not something we've seen a lot of at all and I, I kind of echo exactly what Darren's saying and that we haven't really done it against many teams at all full stop um, under Marsh really apart from maybe Leicester and Norwich have we ever looked like a sort of fairly competent with the ball um, so even against Watford it was a problem and, and I don't really see how we're going to now suddenly trend upwards in this regard it, it seems to be only a, a downward spiral in, in that sense Um Again, though, I think that playing those players in positions like Dan James as a 10 is a problem. You have other options like Rodrigo. I know he wasn't great last time out against Man City. <laughs> Sorry, uh, he wasn't great last time out against Man City. Um, but at least he's a better option there. And yet we seem to think that Dan James was a better choice. Um, so for me, I'm losing a bit of patience because if you have other better choices for the structure that you've you've built, why not play them? Why are we playing two right-footed centre-backs where we could play a left and a right? Where Why are we playing Dan James as a 10 where we could play Rodrigo? Why not play, um, you know, other options? For example, Dan James could be back up front instead of Joe Gellhart, especially if you're playing Arsenal um, and they're going to be high up pressing us. You might have some space in behind. I'm not a huge fan of Dan James as a striker, but it's another option, isn't it? Um for me, it just doesn't make sense, and it all is a collective reasoning for why we can't build up at all well. It's not just Marsh Ball, it's also the personnel he's picking don't necessarily make sense either. And I think this is complexified by the fact that our best progressor of the ball won't be playing at all in the last three games um, because he's now suspended. Um, 
So I think that that makes me even more worried about our ability to progress the ball and, and move it upfield in in any sort of structure. But Ailing was best at progressing the ball when he played as a centre back, and he's not even been playing there, Darren. So it's still not even fixed when he's out because if he was available, we're not even playing him in the best position that he showed his capabilities of in Marsh Ball. No, system. but he's, he's still. I think he's still our best progressive player even even at right back I still think he's that player um so anyway yeah you're right he's, he's not playing so it's irrelevant <laughs> <laughs> is it worth maybe talking a little bit about the fact that fans were adamant that Bielsa should play more defensively in the games against the top six and we've done that in the last couple of games and we've lost both of them um is that is that a lesson to be learned do we think that losing more narrowly and maybe looking more impressive in a low block than, than getting shelled by a, a top six side is is that different? What's the what's the take on that? Well, don't get me wrong. I'm I'm happy we only lost two one. And if you'd said that we would before the game, it, I honestly wouldn't have been too disheartened. As long as the performance was good, I'm actually now at a point where I'm more disheartened at the, the level of the performance and and sitting in a low block and trying to soak up pressure and trying to counter them is great if if it works. But we still ended up losing and we still looked absolutely woeful in possession. So uh, I've, although I've been results over performances all season, well, recently anyway, um, now I'm very much like, well, if we're going to lose, can we at least look somewhat good? And we didn't yesterday. So the, the, the payoff is maybe, yeah, we're not getting absolutely hammered every time now, but we still need to pick up points and we're going into a tough game next game as well. And I just don't know how it's going to look. The opposition is still creating chances enough chances to give us a shelling and we're not making any. So I don't see that as a tangible improvement at all. Before the ailing sending off, there were a few instances where Arsenal played quite comfortably through our press. Darren, do you worry that Premier League players are too good to be really troubled by our intense counter-pressing? I'm, I'm a little bit less convinced by this. I, I think I think against against very good teams like Arsenal, like City, you know, potentially Chelsea, then I, I think I think that trying to get involved in an intense counter-press might be a bit of a fool's errand because they're just going to move you around and move the ball around. And we saw plenty of times yesterday when Arsenal did that. And once City got settled last week, they were able to, to do that too. Um, I think I think there is still... You know, when you're up against mid-table or lower teams, I think there's still a value in it. When you're up against teams of a similar similar ability to your own team, I think there is a value in it. But but I just... Yeah, I, I, I think that, that, you know, Arteta... And um, Guardiola, and you know Klopp, are, and and their players are just too good to be troubled by by a, a, a pressing system like ours. And and you know whether it's whether it's because you know Marsh still hasn't fully integrated what he wants, and the team is still not quite doing what he wants them to do, or or whether whether it's just not going to work anyway. I, I don't know. I mean Southampton have a very mixed success, don't they? They you know if you look at Southampton as a correlate, they have very mixed success. So they have get they have spells where they look good and their pressing works really effectively and they cause teams lots of problems. But then they they also take fairly regular shellings against teams where it just doesn't work at all and where where the sort of problems that we we're talking about here just come out. So I I I think I think maybe a more mixed approach if you if you you know might might be might be valuable but I, I, I just don't know John is, is, is the answer I, I 
yeah, it didn't work yesterday and it didn't work against City. So that's all, that's all you can take from it, really. Um, it's interesting you mentioned the sort of uh, XG we're giving up against these big teams still, and like well, that's not changed, Darren, in the in the last question. But even against teams like Palace, we gave up so much XG, like it wasn't any different. So I, I don't necessarily agree that it always works against sort of the middling teams. It, it maybe has more effectiveness, but we can still look absolutely woeful against those teams as well. And Palace is maybe the the shining example of that. But with regards to the question, John, well, in the Bundesliga, there's much more intensity on it and um, uh, emphasis on the pressing rather than the technical sort of side of things. Not that there isn't a lot of good technical players in the Bundesliga, but it isn't as technical as the Premier League. So um, maybe that also is a reason why it's had more effectiveness in Germany, not just Germany, but in other, you know, Eastern European leagues. It's maybe seen more success than in the Premier League, where yeah, the the technical quality of players is is a lot higher, and they can just play through you. Um, I think you had a really good point that you made on on Twitter yesterday about how Tomiyasu was sort of allowed to be quite free and the way Arteta used him um, in their their possession build-up. And I know that was kind of helped by us being down to 10 men, but did you want to talk about that, John? Yeah, Tomiyasu I thought was used quite interestingly when, when we went down to 10. And I made the point on Twitter that I think that it's always tough for managers to respond to going down to 10. Um, we saw that last season with, with Pep Guardiola failing to beat us when we went down to 10 against City. Um, and I think that there's always the possibility that because these teams are just not used to playing against teams sitting in and and bedding down and the change-up and in the in the game state with a with a player less on the pitch i thought arteta did a really good job of exposing the space that leeds had to leave by going 5-3-1 um and and making sure that that tomiyasu was in his, was in really dangerous situations and i felt as though that they were able to sort of manipulate us on that left hand side or on their left hand side quite well um they generated quite a few chances through that area and then they had on the other side um they they had saka Udegor, and um uh, Cedric all playing, I guess, in, on the wider side, overloading on that side and dragging the Leeds, Leeds team across uh, over onto that side um, and and just sort of leaving Tommy Asu with a lot of space around him where he could almost play like a bit of a playmaker. Um, we've seen Trial Cancelo do that for Manchester City, but I felt that this was slightly different insofar as it, because it was an extended um, period of of pressure from Arsenal for the most part with with us bunkering down um it was just quite interesting seeing him being used in that way um up against that, that low block and I felt as though it, it actually caused um caused a lot of problems we, we've just seen this weekend Liverpool play against Spurs and Spurs sat in a very deep low block and looked to um counter-attack from there and Liverpool had no ideas, really. I didn't think of how to break down that that Spurs block. So um, I was impressed with with Arteta's ability to to really manipulate space in in a situation where the uh, opposition are in, in an unusual structure, I suppose. Yeah, and the only counter I really have to that yesterday um, is that we were down to ten, and it, it gives them a free man on the other side. But and I'm not advocating for man marking, but it does feel like if we press and squeeze over to one side and compact the space down one side, that there's always going to be that free man. Maybe with 11, it's not quite as free, but 
like you said with Tommy Asu, the way he pushed up yesterday when the ball was on Cedric's side, he was able to to have so much space to almost act like a playmaker. And, and I think when teams realise that they can do this more and more, that's where we're going to see problems. And that's not just against the top sides. I think this is a problem against every team that plays with a little bit more width um, and that has decent technical quality. You don't have to be super good. But yeah, the Premier League is full of, of good technical players compared to other leagues. It is probably the strongest league in the world. So maybe... RB football doesn't really suit the league and maybe that is true and and maybe this is the way that teams are going to end up killing us long term and we've discussed this before but it, it was really highlight for me yesterday seeing how much space Tommy Asu had. It's worth saying with respect to the Bundesliga that actually the, the the Red Bull style seems to be not working so well now as well uh, and there's any number of reasons why that could be the case obviously there's been much higher exposure by oppositions to high pressing football in the Bundesliga so maybe they're just better at countering it I also think that the inequality of the league is slowly being narrowed um, obviously no one gets anywhere near Bayern but I think that teams towards the bottom of the table are, are actually much better uh, technically than, than they used to be. So um, we've seen already Jesse Marsh not really work at RB Leipzig. Um, Marco Rosa, who is the Dortmund manager, has struggled this season playing again a, a sort of intense form of, of, of pressing football as well. So it could be the case that, that as leagues become more technically adept that they struggle um that that pressing teams will struggle a little bit more but i mean that is very speculative on my part um but let's just finish up with one more question so uh over to you adam on what do we see going forward from here so nick dunbar said do you see three four two one uh formation as we have no fullbacks now i'd play james and harrison as the wide players of the four rafinha and rodrigo behind joffrey or bamford phillips and bait question mark so um yeah what do you what's your thoughts on where we go look uh, what we look like going forward well we only have three games left so we might see um different formations used in these three games and in general i'm fine with either 4231 or sort of a 3-4-3, whatever you want to call that. I'm okay with both, and I think we might see both, but I think it is opposition dependent. Um, and we're going to talk about Chelsea in a little bit, but for example, I wouldn't necessarily do it against them because of the way that that would then lead to sort of matchups all over the pitch. So you'd have a lot of 1v1s and it could look a little bit like man marking in that sense because uh, they can press onto us in the 3-4-3 and uh, their wing backs can pin onto our full backs. Their wide forwards can push it right on the centre backs and they can just press us into oblivion if we do that. Whereas in a 4-2-3-1, I think you have a bit more of a get out. Um, and I know that we're not necessarily going to be building out like we have under Bielsa and it might look a bit different to the last times we've played Chelsea. So that might lend its, itself to us a little bit. But at the same time, I think that we shouldn't necessarily get too carried away with this being the, the option against just all the big teams. I think it's certainly a sort of maybe against City it works, but not against Chelsea. I wouldn't do it. I would go back to the 4-2-2-2 or the 4-2-3-1 personally, but then maybe against Brighton or Brentford, it might be an option again. We'll see. I genuinely don't know. I I suppose, it, yeah, it really does depend on what you're hoping to get out of the game and what you're hoping to achieve. And if, if what you're hoping to achieve is just getting away without taking a shell in, then, yeah, by all means, set up on the edge of the box and try and scab a point. 
um, if you want to do something a bit more proactive than that. And I do think we're going to need to win at least one of these games, one of these three remaining games, in order to secure our place in the division for next year. Then you're going to need to do something a bit more proactive and, and be the protagonist. And I don't, I'm not sure which formation lends itself best to that, or whether this is more about what Marsh does when he's got the ball irrespective of the for- of the formation i think i think we you can get a bit too deeply involved in in formations as a thing because it's a, it is about the the principles of how we play and the principles that marsh has are the same irrespective of what the shape of the team is well i think that brings us to the end of the interrogation so uh, we will spend the rest of our time now talking about the chelsea game on wednesday so darren over to you hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. So this week, John spoke to Orlando Valman of the Chelsea spot about, well, Chelsea. So Orlando, hi, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Thank you very much for having me on again. I'm looking forward to it. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing well and it's great to have you back on. Always good to talk to you about Chelsea, but what a bizarre season it's been for Chelsea, right? Yeah, it has been a really weird one. I think the stage of the season we're at now for Chelsea, it does seem like things are kind of petering out quite a bit. Um, I'm not sure how representative of the wider fan opinion I am, but I think I'm personally somewhat ambivalent about the rest of the Premier League season. I think the games don't really matter that much anymore. We would have to majorly mess it up not to get top four at this stage. Whether we get third or fourth makes no difference, doesn't matter at all. Um, Obviously, there's the FA Cup final, which... which well, I don't like the fact that one game of 90 minutes will determine whether this season is deemed a success or a failure. I think that's quite disingenuous, um, uh, but that is probably what's going to be the case. Um, so obviously it would be nice to win that, but I think, um, yeah, that, I think a lot of the reasons for Chelsea not, not maybe having been as good or as competitive as people predicted at the start of the season are no one's really to blame. There have been quite a lot of injuries. There's obviously been the whole kind of ownership thing. Um, but yeah, there are also problems that we can kind of say, yeah, we, we could have done better there. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll get into that a bit later, I think. And we do have to just talk about that ownership issue that has been rumbling on. There's just been a press release made about 10 minutes ago, I think, where Roman Abramovich was just clarifying a few points of, uh, I guess, gossip that have been going around the rumour mills. But 
what's it like from your side of the of the uh, I suppose fan owner divide? What's it like to be in a, this situation where there's uncertainty about who your owners will be in the future? Well, yeah, it's a bit strange. It's, I mean, obviously the first thing to say is that it is absolutely a good thing that Roman Ivanovic was sanctioned by the UK government, and no matter whether he's financed loads of success for your football club or you have no no kind of relationship with him at all or you know nothing about him it is a good thing um and and you know football should take a back seat in these kind of things um and I hope everyone agrees on that um because there are a lot of Chelsea fans on Twitter who seem not to um but um yeah from a fan perspective I guess there's a lot of just kind of sitting hoping and praying that the next owner isn't really dodgy because when you're talking about billionaires that is often the case. Um, but it does seem like the guy who's most likely to get it at this point, Todd Bowley and, and his consortium, don't have that much dodginess around them. I mean, I think there is kind of inevitably something to kind of criticise with every sort of potential owner. But I think I'm I'm relatively happy with the way the kind of bidding process has pans out, panned out, given, given who some of the potential owners were at, at different stages of, of it. Yeah, and in terms of the on-field stuff then, how much of an impact do you think that ongoing issue with the ownership has had? Well, it is hard to really pinpoint because there are there are lots of things that have happened on-field that it's unclear what the kind of exact reasons for are. So you could put it down to injuries, you could put it down to fatigue, you could put it down to poor tactics, poor, poor execution, whatever you want to say. But I think it is... It is pretty clear that the the kind of whole um, uncertainty has played into things a little bit. I think there's just been a, a lot more inconsistency um, in terms of performances. Um, I'm not so sure if that's been seen exactly as it maybe could have been in the results, but I think certainly in terms of in terms of the performances, um, it's been the fir- it's been for sure the most inconsistent period uh, since Thomas Tuchel has come in. So. Um, yeah, I think it has played into things in that sense. But at the same time, uh, I mean, this is the cliche that the footballers always use in the interviews, but I think it is true that they are footballers and they are there just to play football. And I don't think they really care who's paying their wages. Um, so I I wouldn't, I think to say that it is the reason for Chelsea's poor form or whatever is is reaching a bit. Well, let's talk a little bit about Thomas Tuchel because there was obviously a lot of hype around him when he came in. You got that Champions League very early on when he arrived at the club. It does seem to have petered out a little bit, I think was a phrase that you used. Why do you think that's been the case? Well, I I do think the main reason is just injuries to key players and, and also poor, let's say, allocation of funds from, from the Chelsea board, from whoever's in charge of, of transfers um, and outgoing transfers as well. Um, because... It's not just after we won the Champions League, but also after our start to this season. It seems like ages ago, but we were we were absolutely flying at the start of the season. Um, both uh, both wing backs were kind of <laughs> scoring or assisting every game, and that includes Ben Chilwell, who obviously got that ACL injury, and that was hugely influential in 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 Chelsea's kind of slight regression, I'd say. Um, I mean, we we went to Anfield and we drew one one despite receiving a red card to Rhys James in the fortieth forty fifth minute. We smashed Juventus three 0 in the in the Champions League group stages. We were looking really really good. Um, there were quite there have been about five different injuries to Angola Kante. There have 
there was obviously, well, everyone seems to have forgotten it now, but Lukaku started the season really, really well. Um, they didn't look like there would, there would be any bedding in problems. And then he got that ankle injury. Um, he was out for, I think, about six weeks. And then since he's come back from that, he's just <laughs> not really done anything. Um, so, um, yeah, I think injuries are a big reason why why that kind of hype around Tuchel has calmed. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's easy to say with hindsight that the Lukaku signing was not the brightest one. Um, I think a lot of fans at the time got caught up with the fact that it was Lukaku. Um, and I think, I, I mean, I remember myself saying it's certainly dumb to spend 100 million on any player, um, especially of his age, um, especially a striker, which Chelsea didn't really need. But because I love Lukaku so much, because Chelsea have a lot of money anyway, I don't really care. And that was probably not the brightest attitude to take. But um, yeah, I mean... <laughs> I'm always going to say this and people who know who know me will know that. But I think the problem wasn't so much um, buying Lukaku. It was selling Tammy Abraham. And I think um, and that's not something that I'm using hindsight to say. I, I mean, I was saying that at the time. And I think then that you can put down to to an error from Tuchel. And I think that is the one the one point that I would criticize Tuchel on most is his kind of talent ID. Uh, if, if that's the sort of right phrase to use, I think he both in his team selection and his kind of um, the way he uses his squad um, could have been better. Let's talk about those forward options then, because obviously you spent a lot of money over the past few seasons. You brought in Timo Werner, Kai Havertz, and as you mentioned, Romelu Lukaku. And that feels like the broadest sort of skill set of strikers you could really want to have available to you. Uh, So I guess that for me makes it all the more complex, this idea that it hasn't really felt like Chelsea have really been firing as an attacking force this season. So do you have any thoughts on why it is the case that you have three different, very different types of strikers and yet none of them really seem to have thrived under Tuchel? Well, I think the first thing to say, um, I think a lot of Chelsea fans don't like to admit this, but I think it is true that the system that Tuchel has been playing for the most part with us is not very kind to the striker. Um, And... I mean, as you say, if none of these guys are thriving, who really is going to thrive? Um, I think Kai Havertz has done very well for the most part this season. I think he's definitely been the best out of the three. Um, And it's easy to forget that he's, I think he's only 22. I mean, he's younger than Mason Mount. um, And I think a lot of people don't realise that because he was playing from such a young age at Bayer Leverkusen and, and so on and just... I guess he plays quite maturely, I think. So people often don't realise how young he is. But I think, yeah, I that was also one of the reasons why I really thought we didn't need to sign a striker in the summer. Although the kind of whole media narrative was, oh, Chelsea is so good under Tuchel. When they get a striker, they'll be Premier League contenders or whatever. Everyone was saying, so good, but they need a striker because they miss all these chances or because they only win games 1-0 or whatever. Um, but we had... Kai Havertz, who was not doing as well as he's done this season, but very much showing promise and and showing like seeming like he's the type of player to to kind of succeed in this sort of setup. We had Tammy Abraham, who was I think our highest goal scorer last season, despite basically not playing at all from January mid January onwards. Um, and then you also had, of course, 
uh, Timo Werner, who, despite being very, very frustrating a lot of the time, is undoubtedly a, a kind of yeah a useful weapon uh, to stretch certain defenses. Um, and yeah, it is a little bit of a mystery that no one has um, has really thrived. I think one another big reason is that there's been a lot of chopping and changing, not just in the striker position, but also in the forward positions around them. Um, the only real um, mainstay in the team has been uh, Mason Mount uh, in that front three um, and, and Kai Havertz recently. Um, so I think, yeah, there, there needs to be a lot more consistency. I think that is somewhat, you can somewhat pin that on Tuchel, but it's also very understandable given that, yeah, none of our forwards really have been have been firing this season. And, and I think that is to a large extent down to them, um, I think. I mean, I'm his biggest fanboy, but there was a period when Callum Hudson-Odoi was doing really well and he was starting every game on the left wing for about an eight-game run. And and that was the first time it looked like we were finding some some consistency. I think we were unbeaten in that period. Um, And then he's basically been injured ever since. And that was, I think, January, February time. Um, But yeah, um, it it is frustrating, but I think it's also not necessarily as big... A problem as some people like to make out um given how strong we are defensively yeah and you mentioned at the beginning of the season there were people talking about Chelsea maybe putting on form good enough to challenge at the top and so you're looking at the underlying numbers it just seems as though you're a long way behind City and, and Liverpool so City have put up 17 xg more than you this season uh, Liverpool have put up 20xg more than you um we've talked to you i think you mentioned earlier just a little bit about the system as well you've played the four uh, three four three a lot this season although uh, outside of that your go-to formation seems to be a four three three but it's mainly the three four three um and this has allowed you to be fairly defensively sound and we knew that last season everyone was saying you know thomas tuckles come in sorted out the defense but as you mentioned um, there was always this talk of well once they get going in an attacking sense they're going to be a, a real force to contend with and that just hasn't really happened so to what extent do you think that that structure uh, that structure that 3-4-3 has actually um, contributed to this because it feels to me like Chelsea are really good at progressing the ball to the final third and then you just look very uncreative and uninventive in the in the final third yeah I completely agree and I think you used the phrase there that a lot of people were saying, oh, when Chelsea get going in an in attack, in attacking sense, they're going to be, you know, kind of a force to be reckoned with. And I think that was never really something that was ever going to be true. I think you're totally right that this structure is very much a defence first one. And I think that's fine. I think being 17 XG behind City and 20 XG behind Liverpool is not necessarily a huge problem if you are this strong defensively. Um, I don't have the numbers to hand, but I mean, I'm sure... At least last season, um, our defence was um, the strongest in Europe, I think, let alone in the Premier League. Um, What I would say is it did look like things were somewhat starting to click at the start of the season, uh, as I previously mentioned, with with Chilwell. And then when he got injured, that just completely fell apart because we're using Marcus Alonso, who is kind of the antithesis to Chilwell's dynamism um, and and kind of the the attacking thrust that he brings. Um, and then we're using Saul Niguez as a as a left wing back. We're using Malang Sar as a left back in a back four. We're just kind of stuck. Um, and yeah, I think another reason is um, our midfield is 
still relatively weak compared to City and Liverpool. I think that was the area that needed to be strengthened the most in the summer. Um, and we prioritised Lukaku. And that is, you know, we can see that clearly now uh, that, that it was a poor decision to do that. Um, I think uh, N'Golo Kante is still on his day pretty superhuman, but his day is becoming less and less um, uh, common. Like he, he he's getting injured a lot. He's not... And when he does play, he's he only really turns up in the big games, um, which is sad to see. But I hope we I hope we keep him uh, despite that because when he is on his game, he's he is superhuman, as I said. Um, but I think yeah, Jorginho Kovacic has been very good this season actually, but also injured quite a lot. Um, and Jorginho, I think I talked about him a bit uh, last time I was on here. I'm not his biggest fan. I think he leaves a lot to be desired in terms of. Um, ball progression and uh, kind of combativeness and and um, just defensive solidity. Um, but uh, yeah, I think we're not as far off City and Liverpool as it may seem. I think when we've got Chilwell back, when although having said that, with Rudiger now leaving um, and Christensen too, most likely it does all of a sudden become harder. And that, as I previously mentioned, is down to failing from the board we simply shouldn't have let uh Tamori and, and Mark Gurhi go um uh and we're now suffering as a, as a result of that but yeah succession planning is always something that you can talk about with hindsight but I think in this case I was I was talking about it at the time so I'm confident to say that um that yeah this is a pretty clear error from Chelsea but I mean I'm not sure if we're really seeing the the kind of the results of that yet I think this season has been more uh that Chelsea have been just a victim of kind of yeah injuries at the wrong time and and um yeah just just inconsistency really well let's try and talk about the positive aspects of Chelsea because it hasn't been a complete disaster of a season so who are the players who've really stood out for you this season well I think player of the season has probably been Rudiger um although he's leaving he has been really immense I mean I I do think that he is someone who massively profits from playing in a back three. Um, and I think if he plays in the back four at Real Madrid, he won't be as good. If Tuchel decides to, at some point, switch to back four permanently, he also won't be as good. So in that sense, I think it's not as bad uh, as some people think that he's leaving. But, you know, despite that, he has obviously been playing in a back three this season and he's been he's been incredible. He's been really kind of... And it's not it's not just what he does on the ball or in his defensive duels or whatever. He brings this kind of intensity um, that kind of all the other players have to match, um, and and that kind of intensity next, especially next to the the kind of insane level of calmness that Thiago Silva brings, um, is is a really nice mix. Um, Mason Mount, as I said, has been our most consistent and best attacker. Um, he's put he's both our highest goal scorer and our highest assister. Um, I think he... I have not got the numbers to hand, but I think he is close to... He, he's. It's possible that he'll end the season with over 10 of each in the league, which is really, really impressive. Um, but I, I, I do think that that's come at a slight um, dip in overall performance level compared to last season from him. Um, and that's a trade-off that, as he continues to, to develop, will have to be kind of looked at and, and, and thought and 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 discussed between him and coaches whether that's whether that's that trade-off is worth it um 
Rhys James has been excellent again, playing both right wing back and right centre back, but also injured for quite a long period. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's clear to see that the core of this team as it moves forward is very much one of youth, um, even despite the departures of the likes of Abraham and Tamori. There's still Mount and James as two of the team's best and most consistent performers. Um, there are more coming through. There are more out on loan who will come back, like Conor Gallagher, um, like Billy Gilmore. And yeah, it's, it's very much still, I think, an upwards trajectory for Chelsea under Tuchel, despite, um, despite the slight dip compared to last season. Well, let's talk about the game that is going to be happening midweek. I should caveat this by saying Leeds have a game against Arsenal before this game against Chelsea happens. Um, and you will have a game as well coming up, no doubt. Uh, but this will be the first time that Chelsea have played against the Jesse Marsh team. So how are you feeling about playing against a sort of intense Red Bull, pressy, um, quick transitions through the middle type of team? I'm quite excited actually to see to see how it pans out because, I mean, apart from Liverpool and I guess you could argue Southampton, I don't think we've really come up against a team in that mould under Tuchel. Um, and... Obviously, Liverpool is it's not really a comparison because of the the kind of overall and individual quality they have. But Southampton, we kind of, under Tuchel, have always done very, very well against. Um, and I think Timo Werner has scored about, scored about 90% of his Premier League goals against <laughs> Southampton. I mean, he does, is his like, best performance of the season every time. And that, and that, that was the case under Lampard as well. Um, so he, you know, obviously he he likes playing against high lines. That's clear to see. Um, but I think it does kind of extend a bit further than that. That um, players like Werner are very much accustomed to kind of quick counter pressing, to making the most of of transitions, and it's not just about the spacing behind. Um, but yeah, I do think we could be vulnerable if if Marsh gets it if Marsh gets it right. Um, because despite what is said about press resistance, it is true that. The likes of Jorginho, Kovacic, even Thiago Silva at times. In fact, any player in our back three um, recently. Recently, we've been very prone to defensive errors. So that's been Azpilicueta, um, Silva, uh, Christensen, uh, Alonso too. Um, and obviously, high pressure on them is going to make them more prone to that. Um, and I think, yeah, I think if Marsh gets it right, and doesn't enable Chelsea to kind of completely control the game, um, as we saw in in the last uh, Chelsea Leeds matchup when Bielsa was manager. Um, I think I think Leeds could find some joy there. But if um, if Chelsea are con- able to control the game in the way Tuchel wants, I think Marsh won't a- won't be able to implement his pressing game really at all because it will just be kind of aimlessly chasing after the ball. They'll they'll have to have some kind of more rigid defensive structure. In terms of injuries and suspensions, obviously there's a game that's going to happen between this, but as of now, are you aware of any players who'll be missing? Yeah, so obviously Ben Chilwell's got the long-term injury. Um, I Callum Hudson-Odoi has just come back to training after being out for a couple of months, so he might make the game, but it's not that likely. Um, Lukaku has been out recently with a minor injury, but he'll probably be back. Um, and I think that is it in terms of ab- absences. Um, yeah, I don't think I'm missing anyone else. Would you like to hazard 
I guess, at a lineup? Well, it, I mean, it, a lot of it depends on who plays against Wolves and how well. Um, but if I were to just... Well, I, I, instead of guessing what I think it might be, I'll guess what... I'll, I'll say what I'd like to see because I think <laughs> that's... Yeah, that's more fun. Um, <laughs> obviously, uh, Edouard Mendy in goal. Um, I would have Rudiger, um, Silva and Trevor Chalaba as the back three. Trevor Chalaba has not played as much recently, but overall, over the course of the whole season, has been one of our more positive players uh, this season. It's been really good to see his breakout. Um, in midfield, midfield two, I will go for, um, I think it's quite likely we see Ruben Loftus-Cheek, um, given his um, ability to play through the press and, and kind of physical ability on the ball as well. Um, so probably him alongside Mateo Kovacic, um, uh, I think we might see. Um, uh, left wing back, Marcus Alonso, right wing back, Rhys James, front three, Mason Mount, Kai Havertz and... Yeah, I've got no idea. <laughs> I'll say Christian Pulisic because he is for, mm, well, no, I, it could be anyone. It could be him, Ziyech, Werner. No, it would probably be Werner given given Marsh's style, yeah. And I never ask for predictions on this podcast, but I am interested in where you think the game will be won or lost. So how would you answer that question? I think a lot depends on how much Chelsea's, or to what extent Chelsea's wingbacks can get involved in the final third. Um, we were talking, or you actually said earlier that Chelsea are really good at progressing the ball, but then when they get into the final third, things kind of peter out a bit or the players look a bit lost. And I think a lot of that is because teams are quite wise in how they limit the the progression of the wingbacks into the final third and also coming in uh, kind of more in field. Um, But if Rhys James and Marcus Alonso are able to kind of have more attacking freedom than than they will. I think Chelsea will 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 be successful. But um, in the same sense, if Leeds are able to nullify that and then get back at Chelsea uh, like on the flanks, then um, then Chelsea could be in trouble um, because there have been gaps opening up in recent games between the the wing back and the wide centre back. Cool. Well, Orlando, it's always great having you on. What's the best way for our listeners to catch what you're putting out? Everything you can find through my Twitter handle, which is, I never know how to say this out loud, (laughs) at Orlandino, but the first O is a zero and the I is a one. I should probably find a better way of doing that. (laughs) If you just search Orlando, it'll probably come up. Uh, but yeah, th- again, thank you very, very much for having me on, John. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, and it's always great having you on. So thank you so much for coming on. Okay, so lots of uh, interesting bits and pieces there and lots to worry us and some, some vague spots of hope if you if you choose to observe them. Um, okay, so in terms of structure, it's pretty clear that Chelsea will probably play a, a 3-4-3. So, John, Chelsea are a, a slightly more defensive team than, than maybe... City or Arsenal, as, as Orlando says. So how do you expect Leeds to set up in terms of shape in this game? Well, as we've just talked about in the final question from the interrogation, I guess the big question is, like, what is the what is the possible formations that we can play? Um, I think that the 3-4-3, the benefit of that is that it allows us to bring in players that we have available insofar as we can play a back three of, of Strauch, 
Urente, Cork, if we need to. Um, and that gives us sort of decent level starting players in each of those positions. Um, the question then becomes like who you, you're going to play in your wing back positions. But I feel as though in terms of wing backs on the right, we have a much better option um, than, than playing a left back who, pro- uh, sorry, a right back in a back four who would probably be um, a, a centre back as well. So either Urente or Robin Koch. Um, so yeah, I I think you can get away with playing centre backs as full backs in a Marsh system. So it could well be the case that we do see a back four with with a centre back playing one of those full back roles. But um, I also do think that the three four um, three does allow us to sort of get more senior players in in the positions that you might want them to do. So I think that maybe is the is is going to be playing at the back of Jesse Marsh's mind as he as he plans for this one. In terms of the structural side of things, I was. I was I'm a little bit nervous about 3-4-3 versus 3-4-3, um, especially in a game where you want to get um, points because I do think these games can just end up being really claggy because you end up going man-for-man man across the field. Um, and we've seen that man-for-man man against Chelsea, we're not going to come off um, particularly well in those sorts of games. So um, I do think that's maybe something to, to have a think about. Although having said that, I do think that if we do go 3-4-3 three, three against Chelsea, we will end up going with a back five until we're down, um, it, which is, yeah, a, maybe a negative way of looking at it. But um, again, that might just it might just allow us to, to sit in and, and be a little bit more solid. It all depends on how Jesse Marsh views Chelsea because... Um, obviously, with City, he was he was just super happy to be sitting in and, and trying to clag them out. Um, he may be a little bit more adventurous against Chelsea because of their run of results recently. Um, I personally would go four two three one because I think it it's the formation that's probably worked better for us um, in terms of going forward. Um, so yeah, I'd be I'd be interested to see what happens uh, with this one. Although I guess again that does leave you with the with the risk of maybe being a little bit more open in those wide areas. And and obviously Chelsea use their wing backs to to try and generate uh, a lot of their progression and and chance creation as well. So okay, so Adam, at the moment it's just about trying to find a vaguely logical logical team from the available bodies, isn't it? It is a little bit, yeah. And um, as John said, maybe at right back, the option is to play a centre back there because it's not too important in a Marsh system. But we could see return up Shaq. And I think that that might be the best thing to do um, because I don't think we have another option in the squad for the right back role that is a natural or more natural right back. Um, I want to note here that Drame can't play for us again this season because his loan ends on June the 30th and there were a few questions about this that we got online and within the discord um so yeah that's that's not something we can sort of John Kevin Augustine loophole our way out of and and find a recognizable right back at the club it's got to be Jamie Shackleton for me or sort of Diego Llorente maybe uh, if we're playing four at the back so if you want me to have a stab at, at doing the team Darren I'd probably yeah go, go on have a, have a stab at doing the team good luck I'd, I'd probably go <laughs> Ilan obviously in goal Ilan Melier, um Shackleton at right back it's going to have to be Firpo at left back because we don't have another option other than maybe Pascal but I don't think that'll happen um, I'd prefer a left and a right footer at centre back, so I'd go Pascal and then one of Koch or Urente. Um I'd prefer Koch, but if it's Urente, so be it. Phillips and Click in midfield in the pivot. Uh, Rodrigo back in the ten. 
Harrison on the left, Rafinha on the right, and then I suppose I feel bad for him because he should have maybe given more of a chance against Arsenal in Joe Gellhart, but I think it'll be Dan James up front. Um, and that's probably what I would I would go with and what I would say is probably best right now, but bringing Shaq in when he's barely played the season feels a little bit risky as well. But he is a fine young man. Uh, John, <laughs> what do you, any advances on what Adam just proposed or shall we move on? I mean, I'm happy to accept Adam's team. I, I would say, though, that Jesse Marsh does seem to be entering that phase of managerial panic where it's kind of hard to read what he's going to put out. Like, none of us expected to see Dan James as a 10 uh, yesterday, for example. Um, and it, it feels as though there's, like, so much tweaking around going on now that he's just sort of in that that headspace that managers get into, usually at the end of their careers at a, at a, or 10 years at a, at a side, where they're just desperate to make things work and they think the only way to do that is by playing around with the with the the formula so um i wouldn't be surprised if we see some strange selections uh, on on wednesday oh that's something to look forward to okay (laughs) let's think about the um the tactical questions a little bit so um john chelsea may be one of the teams we could theoretically press a bit um so do you expect us to sit and try and nick something or do you want do you think we'll try and get on the front foot and play with with an intense press and try and create some chaos for them I think the pressing is so dependent on the possession that the big question has got to be whether or not we can progress the ball into areas where we can press it just feels like so long since we've played a game where it felt as though there was any point doing a a, count, a proper counter press because we've we've just not managed to to really do it and even even yesterday when we got a few, like we had maybe two or three forays into the opposition half where it looked like it could be dangerous. When we lost the ball, we lost the ball by playing it beyond the striker into the, usually into Ramsdale. Um, so there's no, you have no option there of being able to, to counter press. So for me, if we are able to sort of possess the ball and progress it into those areas then perhaps we could get to them but at the moment it just feels as though we when we go forward we just seed possession back straight away um so we're doing our high press because the opposition have the ball um they play it through our high press we get the ball and then we just give it straight back to them and and that's the issue the issue is is that if a big part of your attacking players through generating counter-pressing situations from which you can counter-attack if you're not able to get the ball and your team into those areas and in structures that you that are optimal for those sorts of attacking counter moments you're just not going to be able to do anything so yeah for me a lot of this will come down to is this going to be a game where we actually manage to possess the ball in some sort of meaningful way in the opposition half and if not then yeah I think I see it being similar to the last few games which is give the ball back to the opponent wait for them to attack us hopefully absorb the pressure and 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 rotate like that and like I said yesterday um the only chances that we had were through set pieces and the the um yeah the I think the best chances that we had even the best chances that we had the um to to maybe even be threatening a few of them were from us like winning a set piece and then winning a free kick further up the field sort of gaining territory through set pieces as well which is just not ideal at the moment I agree Adam as we've touched on there is a narrative which still exists at Leeds of scare quotes tightened up but um, per XG the opposition have outcreated us in the last five games including the Watford when uh, we won 3-0 so um, up against another big team how do you expect us to look defensively in this game I don't want to be too negative Darren but I don't see it changing too much I don't think any of us here are expecting us to suddenly out XG Chelsea probably likely to get 
out XG'd again. And then it's going to come down to, well, can we ride our luck enough? Can we variance this enough and maybe nick something, maybe a point, maybe even all three if we get lucky enough. We've created two of our best chances in the Arsenal game through set pieces. Perhaps maybe that's another area we'll try and exploit. But in terms of defensively, I, I think they'll have most of the ball and they'll dominate the game. And it'll be about whether we can then get the ball forward, either to attack ourselves or to counter-press if we do lose it back enough. But like John said, we never seem to be in situations where we get the ball forward and then we lose it and then we're able to actually counter-press. It feels like the ball just comes straight back at us and they can play through us. And, and that is a concern for me. Um, but I, I do want to give a shout out to my good friend Sam. He's a big Chelsea fan and he's convinced that they will somehow drop points given just how they're playing at the moment. And and they, they haven't been in the best form in the last two games. They've thrown away points. Um, they have the FA Cup final to look forward to on Sunday. There's a possibility that maybe they rest some players. Maybe I'm being positive. A slightly weakened Chelsea might have an off day. Maybe be a bit off colour and we can maybe hit them with a goal and, and get something from the game. But it, it was interesting to note what Orlando said about Timo Werner and how he's played against the likes of Southampton um, in the past and how that's usually been one of his best games of the season. So are we suddenly going to give Werner a load of goals and to add to his, his small tally in the Premier League? It's possible. Um I don't know. I'm just sort of a little bit worried um, about how this game's going to go, even though I think it's a slightly easier game than the Arsenal one. I think there's a lot of ways they can hurt us. And I don't know if Reese James is playing and he plays well, then he's someone I, I always worry about. And we've been killed wide a lot under Marsh and he's one of the best at delivering the ball from a wide area in world football so you know there's reasons to be negative in that sense as well and and even Romelu Lukaku managed to score a couple of goals against Wolves will he start will his confidence be up possibly and then it could again be a just a, a really difficult game for us can I just check whether your friend Sam's watched us at all <laughs> <laughs> He has actually. He likes to gloat. So oh, okay, <laughs> I, have, okay. I, I have played that point against him and countered him with it, and he's still not having any of it. He still thinks we might get a draw. I am contractually obliged to mention the wing backs and the width and the, the fact that that might kill us, but Adam's already touched on that, John, so I'm going to skip it and not come to you with that question because I think we all agree that that is definitely something that we need to be worried about and there are going to be lots of threats there. Um, so I'm not going to make you talk about that. I'm going to ask you to talk instead about our struggles in possession uh, a little bit more um, because we haven't talked about that enough um, in this podcast. Um, so, yeah, Chelsea are usually pretty solid. We struggle uh, in possession. We struggle to create chances. So, John, come on. How are we going to create any chances in this game and where, where do you expect us to create any problems for them? Um, or is it just a case of trying to scab set pieces as it's been in in yesterday's game yeah but even scabbing set pieces like Chelsea play a back three of three extremely solid aerial defenders so make of that what you will but <laughs> for me everyone's looking at this game against Chelsea and saying well they're playing badly at the moment they they lost to Everton they drew with Wolves after being 2-0 up um, they're very gettable at um, and I, I mean I agree on on the face of it but I do think that there's certain things about Chelsea that make it more difficult for us and um not least the fact that at least in a in a defensive sense they are going to they are going to look to overload in the middle and force teams wide and force them to cross the ball in and generate chances from there which already is 
a nightmare for us, I think, as a as a as a prospect. Um, given that we are supposedly attacking direct directly through the middle and looking to be quick and and um, and, and sort of get defenses running backwards and, and cause chaos in that way, um, I don't think that we'll see. Chelsea committing a huge amount of players forward from the middle and the central areas. So part of the reason why they use wing backs is because they're happy to seed space in the wide areas, um, but they'll sit a little bit more um, solidly in the middle. Um, so there's 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 that as well. Um, and yeah, I I suppose the the big question for me is whether or not we're actually going to get anything out of this game going forward. I can see Chelsea struggling against us. Because I think the problems that Chelsea have are in the final third. Uh, I mentioned that in the interview with with Orlando. I think Chelsea are very good at progressing the ball. When it gets to the final third, um, they they just don't seem to have um, the the sorts of rotations and movements and interchanges at the moment to cause uh, teams problems. Um, I'm just much less hopeful that we will be able to cause them problems at the other end. So yeah, you know, again, as Adam says, maybe we can maybe we could grab a, a nil nil draw um and at that at, you know at this point in the season that that goes a long way towards potentially keeping you up um so there's there is it, it is good that Chelsea are struggling at the moment it's good that they have the FA Cup final coming up um it's good that they may rotate things it's you know there's positives to look to but in, looking at it from a purely tactical sense I I don't necessarily get the and I've said this as well, I don't get why people think that Arsenal was going to be harder than Chelsea when I feel like Arsenal are, are probably um, more more gettable at in their in their final form than Chelsea are. So yeah, it's 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 an, an interesting one, certainly. It sure is. Okay, so Adam, where will the <coughs> excuse me, Adam, where will the game be won or lost? Well, one area for them of, of potential weakness is uh, left wing back. I think right wing back will probably be quite strong, but left wing back might be Sol Niguez. If we are playing Rafinha down the right, I know we don't necessarily always attack with width these days, but if he can get at him, that would be nice. That's one area. But there's also the the sort of bigger picture, which is that for basically the last 10 games now, we've been saying the same thing. It's about how we attack centrally versus how they attack wide and John said it in the interview actually as well um, can we create enough chances through the middle of Chelsea and we get the ball into the right areas to do that or will they kill us on the on the other end of things with the wing backs which is obviously their strong point um, and right now if you offered me a point and said that we get that I'd take it because that would be absolutely wonderful for us I think there's a chance that Burnley don't get anything this season so if we can get one point in the next three games then we have a, a chance to stay up but at the same time it would be great to try and nick this if we can um, and I am like I said still concerned about what they might do to us um, out wide and they might absolutely kill us but I am more confident I have to say with Marsh than Bielsa in this game because every time we've played Chelsea except maybe this season's game at Stamford Bridge I think they've absolutely killed us um, and we've not been able to pass the ball out at all. Whereas I'm not worried about that anymore. We might not be able to pass the ball out, but as long as we get the ball into some good areas, we might be able to score. So yeah, maybe central compactness and if we can keep it tight there, create some chances there or through set pieces, we might be able to nick something. That's probably where the game might be won or lost or drawn, but yeah. Any advances, John? If we can score, we might have a chance. (laughs) That's my worry, scoring against Chelsea, not necessarily them scoring against us. Fair, fair point. Okay, excellent. So, um, I don't think 
Is Hobbsy going to do a video on a play? Because he was he was swinging yesterday in the group <laughs> chat, wasn't he? He was thinking, oh, I'm not going to do anything. And then he's going, oh, maybe Lewis Bates done a couple of good passes. Maybe I'll do something on Lewis Bates. But I think he's going to do Joseph Mateo um, this week instead. So that's something to look out for. John, are you doing a tactical video this week or are you giving yourself a, a week off? Yeah, I think we're, we're at a point where there's a, a flurry of games and there wasn't really much to talk about tactically from the, the last one. So I think we'll wait and hold out and see whether or not we can do anything worth talking about after the Chelsea game. Fabulous. So we'll be back on Thursday with a review of the Chelsea match and a preview of the Brighton match, I assume. Um, so until then, listeners, try and enjoy the game and have a great week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.